Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. A new episode. Well, they all are. Getting it right in real time may mean changing your mind. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I am your host here at LeaningTowardWisdom.com. That's where you'll find everything. Before I hit record, I went looking through all the folders, all the archives. I was going to try to calculate what number episode might this be. I got into the 700s and I, and I gave up. I'm like, man, how far back do I need to go? This is ridiculous. I only was doing that because somebody had asked me a few weeks ago what we were talking about podcast iterating, changing, which is the subject of today's show, kind of, sort of. And I said, man, you know, I this has got to be the fifth iteration of Leaning Toward Wisdom. There could be more than that. I'm really not sure. Hey, let's talk about getting it right in real time and how it may mean. I'm going to change that. It will mean changing your mind. Mark Twain wrote in a good book room. You feel in some mysterious way that you are absorbing the wisdom contained in all the books through your skin, even without opening them. He was right. He was absolutely right because I know that feeling very, very, very well, having surrounded myself with books for most of my adult life. If you've been paying attention and you've been following along here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, I have revealed to you that only recently did I rid myself of the vastness of all the books that have surrounded me for a long, long time? Uh, it was time. It was time to part with, frankly, most, if not all of them. I don't have any regrets. And by now, hopefully somebody else is benefiting from the thousands of books that I donated not all that long ago uh, here to the local library where I live absorbing wisdom though. It's, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, Twain himself used it absorbing the wisdom. And I like the idea. It's an interesting idea. It's interesting. I suppose that Twain did not say absorbing the knowledge because, well, there is a difference. It was Einstein who said any fool can know. The point is to understand. And here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, I have long given my personal definition of wisdom as the model from which every episode is cast, and that very simply is this. Getting it right in real time. Getting it right in real time. It's the reason that we all overuse the phrase 2020 hindsight, because after the fact, well, it's, come on, it's easy, because now we have a deeper understanding. Now we can look back and we can see more clearly what in the, in the moment 
we might not could have seen it at all. And I'm going to stand by that definition. I've lived with that definition for many, many years, getting it right in real time. And I'm going to stand by that definition, but that does not necessarily mean that it's the only kind of wisdom for me. Getting it right in real time is the pursuit. That's the objective. The objective is when I'm, I'm in the moment and I'm faced with this opportunity, with this challenge, with this decision, with this choice, can I make the right choice? Sometimes we learn wisdom because we got it wrong the first time. And that's okay. But now the question is, okay, are we going to get it right the next time? And that's for me where the rubber meets the road because fools don't get it right the next time. Fools don't seem to figure it out. Fools don't seem to learn. Wise people do. And in the simplest of terms, I would tell you that in my experience, wise people learn and they learn faster. Wise people, the wisest people, they get it wrong. And if they do get it wrong, they do everything in their power to not get it wrong the next time. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, never laugh at live dragons. For our 45th wedding anniversary, Rhonda bought me a toy dragon. Now, for some reason, I can't tell you why. I have dubbed this dragon. I'm going to put a picture of this. Go to the show notes. Just find today's episode, getting it right in real time may mean changing your mind. Just go to the search bar and just type in getting it right in real time, and you'll probably find the episode. I'm going to put a picture of this green toy dragon. I have no idea how old he is. For some some reason, I dubbed him Carl. I don't know why, but I did. Carl. Well, Carl is dragon number three. Speaking of dragons, never laugh at live dragons. Carl is dragon number three here inside the yellow studio. The first, the first one I found many years ago, I found him in Clearwater, Florida while I was on a business trip and I found him in a store one day and I was, I was there for, I don't know, three days, give or take. And I saw this particular dragon, this purple dragon. I'm going to put a picture of him as well. I, I found him in the store and I, I kept going back to, to visit him. I kept going back because what I was wrestling with, whether or not I ought to buy him, uh, he's ceramic, he's heavy. And I was flying home. I was traveling light as possible. And so that was the reason for my angst. And it seems to me that he might've been a little pricey as well. I can't recall. I do know this, that by the end of the last day there, I was going to fly out the next morning. And so I intentionally, I lord, I loitered around the store until closing time and nobody else was in the store and I picked him up. And I go over to the store owner. This was a a little small kind of a whatever shop there in Clearwater, Florida. And I held him up and I made an offer, which was below the asking price to the owner. And I told him, words to the effect, you know, I'd like to take him home. 
And if you'll part with him for X, I'll take him home. And he said, take him home. I can't remember how much I paid. I can't even remember how much he was priced originally. I can't even tell you why I decided that he might not be worth whatever the printed amount was on the price tag, which was underneath. But I was really pleased. I remember being very pleased with the discounted price. And I brought him home to the Ellis studio where he has been a fixture now for over 20 years. And come on, just look at him. Just look at the, just look at the snarky, the snarky look on his face. And, and you can know instantly why I liked him so much and why I went back and visited him every day until I decided to pony up the dough. The first actual toy dragon, so the purple dragon, which I've never named, he, he was number one. The second dragon inside the yellow studio was really the first actual toy dragon. And this, dra- this dragon is orange and yellow. <clears throat> okay, he's got some maroon and white as well. And it looks like the, his toenails are gray. Dragons have toenails. Yeah, I think they have toenails. Um, he came from the same place that Carl did a toy merchant at a local flea market in hot Springs, Arkansas named Jimmy. Now for over 35 years, Jimmy has been collecting and peddling toys. I know this because I've engaged Jimmy in conversation a few times, uh, eBay and the internet, they have made profit way harder to come by for Jimmy, but every day Jimmy mans his booth in this flea market in hot springs, Arkansas, that is jam packed with toys of all ilks, including an occasional dragon. So Carl and this unnamed orange dragon, they both came from Jimmy and I rather love them all, all three of these dragons. And recently I told Jimmy, in fact, it was just some weeks ago when I was there, I told Jimmy to be on the lookout for whatever might turn into my third purchase from Jimmy. You know, I told him, I said, you need, you need to find me some more dragons, Jimmy. I need more dragons. These are the dragons. These are the three dragons that now reside inside the yellow studio. And I'm always reminded of that, of that Tolkien quote, never laugh at live dragons. Uh, I suspect that one's encounter with a live dragon might prove so fearful that a wise person would learn not to laugh. You know, you would think if you encountered a live dragon and you live to tell about it, well, you're probably going to take the next dragon very, very seriously. And so it is with learning wisdom. We may not get it right the first time, but we better get it right. We better get it right the next time because it might prove fatal. But as much as we may want to get it right in real time, it just often doesn't happen. And mostly it's okay, (laughs) except when it's not. And from years I have shared with you my parental advice uh, to our kids growing up, and it was, you're going to make a mistake. We just don't want you to make a mistake from which you can't recover. Rhonda and I never wanted our kids to make a mistake that was so foolish that it would cause permanent or long lasting damage. And so we trained them and we hoped that they would learn from their mistakes. 
Uh, but mostly we wanted those mistakes to be the ones from which they could recover. They could find redemption from, and that historically was true. And it wasn't just parental advice. It was what we ourselves were trying to accomplish in our lives as their parents. Sure. Sometimes we got it wrong, but with the things that mattered most, and I will tell you, and you know, it's coming with those things that are eternal, we got it completely right. We leaned very hard into providing the spiritual food and the atmosphere and the culture that our kids needed to grow up, to become strong, resilient, steadfast people of faith. And so this consisted of daily conversations and lots of questions answered and lots of study and lots of Bible reading and prayer and worship and all the things to provide growing kids with enough information to figure out whether or not they would get it right and they would serve God or if rather they would choose to get it wrong and to serve themselves. And thankfully they chose wisely and they got it right in real time. Now it's worth noting here. And I'm sad to report that sometimes getting it wrong in real time can happen because there is a change of mind. And sometimes that change of mind is not a change towards something good, but rather away from something good and towards something bad. And you might be thinking of that, you know, that popular TV show breaking bad. It happens. Human beings, we are very capable of breaking good, but we're also very, very capable of breaking bad. We can change our mind and we can become something that we weren't before. And that something that we become can be far worse than anything we ever were before. One child decided that God, faith and eternity were not worth the sacrifice, that the marriage was not worth it, that the children they weren't worth it either. And that a valuable career no longer worth it. Instead that selfishness and sin and vice, that these were more valuable. Well, humans can make those kinds of decisions and it, it was a hard decision to watch, but listen, Romans 14 verse seven says, none of us liveth to ourselves and no man dies to himself. What we do impacts other people but we all have the choices to make and we are not able to make the decision for other people. And even if we could, even if we could impose our will on adult children, my question remains, should we, I mean, what good would the result be? Manipulation and coercion are not the path forward. And so my point is minds can be changed for good, but they can also be changed for bad. Here at Leaning Toward Wisdom, we are intensely focused on getting it right. That is good in real time. We're all about self-discipline. We're all about self-sacrifice because these, these are the attributes of wisdom. These are the attributes of living our best lives. In my own quest to be a better person and to live a better life, I can tell you I've had to alter my course more times than I can count. And Lord willing that I survive and I continue to live, I have every bit of confidence that I'm going to have to change the course of my life 
over and over and over again. Some of those changes may be major. Some of those may be tweaks, minor. Improvement and growth always demand change, but it's good change. And it's not only good change that we benefit from, but it's good change that everybody in our life benefits from. And it's not at all like those physical growth changes that we see as, you know, as our kids or our grandkids, as they get taller and they get more mature and they fill out these changes, unlike those changes, these changes begin in our brain. They begin in our heart. They begin with us changing our mind. My youngest grandson, I call him road rash. Roy, you know, Roy is not deciding to grow taller. He is not deciding to grow stronger. He is not deciding to mature. It's happening. It's the natural progression of growing up. But for those of us that are adults, we decide what we want. We decide what we need. We decide what we need or want to stop. We decide what we need or want to start. And before any action is taken, we make up our mind about what we want. And that compels us to take action. Uh, just yesterday, I saw a musician who I follow. He, he made a post about it was evidently his 20th anniversary of being sober. No alcohol, no drugs for 20 years. That was a choice that this particular musician made. And in his post, he was arguing, well, he was actually urging and encouraging his fellow musicians by saying, if you don't think that you can play rock and roll and maintain sobriety, I'm proof that it can be done. So here's a guy that over 20 years ago, he changed his mind about drugs and alcohol. And here he is 20 years later in January of 2023. And he is a better man because of it. He argues he's a better musician. He's a guitar player. That's getting it right. That is absolutely getting it right. Rumi was a 13th century Turkish poet. And he wrote yesterday. I was clever. So I wanted to change the world today. I'm wise. So I am changing myself. I've changed my mind many, many, many times and about many different things. My leadership recipe that I regularly coach and talk about begins with humility. If we don't have the humility to understand that we are not the smartest person in the room and we absolutely may not be as smart as we think we are, that humility affords us the opportunity to be more curious. The proud, those filled with hubris lack curiosity because they don't need to ask any questions. They've already got the answer. And that curiosity compels us to ask questions and not just questions, but good questions. Questions that we need answers to. And the answers to those questions and that curiosity bring about knowledge. And from that knowledge, we gain understanding. And if we can't gain understanding, doesn't matter if we agree with it or not, but we, we can understand it. Without that, we can't get to the apex of this leadership recipe, which is compassion. Compassion is defined as a focus on others. It all is also how I define leadership. 
a focus on others. So our ability to change our mind is really, really important in our growth, in our development. But, you know, just this morning, my son called and we were talking about these kinds of things. And I was reflecting to him how I've changed my mind so many times about so many different things. And and I don't mean being wishy-washy. I don't mean in flip-flopping around, but I mean in just holding some opinion, holding some understanding, but then realizing, okay, I, I didn't get that right. And I was reflecting with him how I, I've sometimes encountered people who will readily say, I'm dug in. I'm not going to change my mind. And I'm sad. I'm sad for such people because these are people who are intentionally refusing to learn. They're refusing to develop and grow and understand. And it's such a foolish way to go, but hey, it's your life. You can do what you please. Some weeks ago, I did an episode about an ideal outcome that Rhonda and I have been thinking about for some time. In fact, for a considerable amount of time. And it's an outcome that involves us planning to have a couple of short-term rental spaces. I don't remember the title of the show, but it involved, you know, two women and plan M. Uh, M is the middle letter of the alphabet. And, you know, we've iterated this thing and iterated this thing and iterated this thing. But the plan basically has involved having a couple of short-term rental spaces, which are independent bedroom suites. And I recorded that episode, I don't know, back, back before the holidays. And since then, some things have changed. And some of the things that have changed have caused us, she and I, to change our mind. And it's just one illustration of how a change of heart or a change of mind can result in a change in what we want to pursue, what I call the ideal outcome. And you know what? That's how it ought to be. That's how it ought to be. If we are open to figuring out a better way, if we are open to figuring out a path that might make us better, a path that might serve us better. And you know what? We made this change because other people helped us figure it out. It's funny how that works. Leaning toward wisdom also means leaning on people. And it means leaning on people that we trust people that we know want our very best. And it can serve us unlike anything else. Unlike anything else. If only we would open ourselves to forge relationships with people who are safe like that for us. I was reading one of the many research tomes about happiness. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I think happiness and the pursuit of happiness are highly, highly, highly overrated. And it's not because I don't want to be happy. And it certainly isn't because I want to be unhappy, but it is because happiness is just so fleeting. I think a better outcome, a better goal is peace and joy. Now, there, I have a bias. I will freely admit my bias. My view is because of my faith and my belief in the Bible, and the Bible speaks quite a lot about love and joy and peace, not happiness. But at any rate, I'm looking at this research, and it's pretty interesting to me about happiness. And one of the barometers mentioned in this study of happiness was having at least one great friend. Well, okay, that's terrific. Now define great friend. 
how do you define the greatness of a friend? Well, they did. And they defined it as somebody that you can call at three in the morning. Somebody that you can call at 3 a.m., whether it's because you need help or you just simply feel alone, a great friend is somebody that you can call at 3 a.m. and they'll answer. They'll help you. Now, one of the shocking things to me was that (laughs) some married folks answered that they had nobody. They did not have a single person they could call at 3 a.m. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you can't, not your husband, not your wife. I mean, how sad is this? I know firsthand that such friends can be hard to find. And maybe they can be even harder to keep. But anybody who hasn't got a friend like that should not sit idly by and accept that, well, this is just how it's got to be. No, listen, if right now you're listening to me and you're thinking, well, I don't have anybody, I can call it 3 a.m., then let me strongly encourage you to change your mind and get busy changing that circumstance of your life. And firstly, my encouragement is be the 3 a.m. friend that somebody else needs. You've got somebody in your life. Think about this somebody that you have in your life, and they need you at 3 a.m., and you want them to need you at 3 a.m., Now, I completely understand that it may not be a reciprocal thing. There are some people that I feel like I'm their 3 a.m. friend, and I'm happy about that. That doesn't necessarily qualify them to be my 3 a.m. friend. Does that make sense? If you will do that with enough folks, I will guarantee you, you will cultivate somebody in your life who will be that person for you. And you might cultivate more than one, but come on, quite frankly, if you get one that's outside your family, that ain't bad. Change, growth, and improvement. And it starts in our head, our heart, and it progresses in how we behave. And you and I both know how we behave determines who we truly are. That determines who we are. You can think about something all day long, but until you change what you do, it doesn't matter. The musician who 20 years ago decided to embrace sobriety, he could have talked about it. He could have thought about it. He could have even articulated that he was going to do this, but until he did it and kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it, he does not celebrate 20 years of sobriety unless he behaved like a person who was determined to remain sober. I'm disinterested in being somebody else. I'm not interested in encouraging you to be somebody other than who you are, but I am very, very interested in being a better version of myself. Always improving is my quest. I find myself articulating more and more and more in my life. And probably it's because of age. Always improving, always improving. For me, that's the AI of it all. It's not artificial intelligence. It's always improving. That's the quest. I freely admit, quite often I fail. And that's my own fault. I don't have anybody to blame. I mean, this is my life. 
if I'm going to become a better person, then it is up to me to first decide. And then like my sober rock star acquaintance, he's not an acquaintance. I just follow the guy like him to now take action because until we take action, it can't become a reality. It's just a figment of our imagination. Then what do we do? Rinse and repeat. Because like his sobriety, our improvement is a daily discipline. Wisdom demands constant attention. Wisdom and the leaning toward wisdom is this climbing of a hill over and over and over and over again. Wisdom is never a once and done affair. Growth and improvement are never a once and done, check the box, done it, been there, bought the t-shirt foolishness like entropy it creeps into our life and it is easy and the reason it's easy is because neglect is easy it is easy to not make your bed in the morning it is easy to not vacuum or mop the floors it is easy to avoid mowing the grass it is easy to avoid shoveling the snow if that's your plight this winter it's easy to neglect our health with our diet habits the path of easy is the most destructive path that we can choose. But resisting, resisting easy. Well, that's hard. That is hard because self-deprivation is tough. I bet you we could ask the sober rock star, how tough is it? How tough has it been? How tough has the last 20 years been? And I bet you he would tell us, Every single day has been a struggle, but I also bet you he would tell us worth it. Really, really worth it. We just want to get this right. And there's little doubt you and I both know that there's some things in our life that we just can't afford to get it wrong. We need to do everything in our power to get it right because some things have, well, they have a bigger consequence. Other things are less critical. And if we get it wrong, then okay, no big deal. But there are so many of us that are going through some tough times and some sorrow and pain and struggle. And we're working, we're working like fiends to try to get it right in real time and to try to figure it out. And it's very, very easy for us to look at all the external circumstances of our life. And there are many things that are beyond our control. I saw Mark Cuban the other day and he made a comment that in his estimation, 50% of life was random. Now, he doesn't have a lock on accuracy. I got no way of knowing if he's right or not, but there certainly is a randomness to life and it affects us all. And he made a comment. He said, you know, I could have been born, I could have been born five years earlier. 
Nobody would know my name. You know, he felt like he was born at a, at a time where the technology that was around, he was able to get access to it. And I get it. I get it. As they say in the audio circles, I miss the post. The post is you kind of end your talking to match the music. Okay, well, I didn't make it. Uh-huh. I didn't get that right in real time. You know what? It doesn't matter. It has no consequence. So I just don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. So let's cue up a longer piece of music, shall we? I'm not going to keep you. It was an interesting point that Mark made, though, and I do think that he's right. And I do know that there are many people that are struggling and battling some things. I'm thinking of people that are on my mind that are battling some really serious health issues. And those can be particularly vexing. My heart goes out to all the people that they themselves or somebody that they love is going through some really difficult time with their health. I know, come on. I know that so much of this is genetic and it it just, it does absolutely feel so random as Cuban says. So what are we going to do? We're going to cry in our soup. No, that won't help. Whatever circumstances are in your life right now that you can control, then do your best. Try to get it right in real time. Change your mind. Change your behavior. Improve, grow. Fix what ails you as much as you can. And for those of us who are Christians, we turn the rest of it over. We just do the best we can. We put one foot in front of the other. We live to fight another day and another and another and another and another. I don't know. Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. And I think for me... This whole project of Leaning Toward Wisdom, which began in 1997, and it will continue until I have breathed my last breath. Today, I want to be wise. And so today, I want to be determined to change myself. My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio.